I mean, to be fair, what what can you do with just speech communication? Like, you have to do a double major. And that's what I was told, to be fair. Like, hey, if you want to expand beyond that stuff, you got to do, like, double majors and stuff. And by that point, I was like, hmm, how much debt am I in? <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's jump ship while there's still a ship to jump out of. So that, that is the professional advice you're getting from me. Drop out of college. Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. I'm your host, Matthew Thompson. And I'm Mason Simmons. He, he's also a host, and we're the only host today. That's right. We, we, have, we have done away with the concept of firing Mason, and we decided instead to fire Tanner, uh, which is going to really come back to bite us because I believe we lost roughly three-fourths of the combined intellect of this podcast and another three-fourths of the combined talking of this podcast so this is either gonna be the fastest podcast ever or we are going to unlock potential within us to speak at theological seminary levels of just pure intellectualism to the point that this this is gonna be a two and a half hour lecture it's gonna be one or the other if we do that over this scripture we might commit heresy heresy why would it be heresy Essays will be written over this amazing work. <laughs> this is history. History is being made today on cross-training. We're, mm, we're, we're going to get so far into that scripture. It's going to be great. No, but uh, Tanner, he's, he's being a good dad, taking, taking care of his kid. So he's, he's definitely got a good excuse to, to not be here. Whenever Mason isn't here, it's because he's got kind of stupid school. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, I, I, I just told you, drop out. Like, come on. <sighs> scripture says, did Jesus go to school? He didn't have to learn. He just knew it. <laughs> Tanner's not here to defend himself. <laughs> Very true. All right. No, but uh, last week we we talked about the first half of John chapter 19. Basically, uh, this is an effort to slow down. And, I mean, this has already been said, so I'm not going to go too far into the logic here. But in case you are tuning in to this episode after not listening to the past couple ones, then one, what's wrong with you? It's season one. Just just go back to the beginning. But if if you are new to, to cross training, we're taking John chapter nineteen pretty slowly. We've been doing a deep dive uh, throughout all of the book of John, and we're we're getting close to the end. And now that we're getting to where a lot of the more popularly known action outside of say like the parables and miracles, I mean Jesus' death, I mean that's that's prime material for for Christian sermons. I mean we we've heard about this all of our lives. So this is a good opportunity to take a step back, and with the theological and scriptural knowledge that we have as uh, semi-adults. I mean, we're paying taxes. We're adults. And look at it with our eyes and, and meditate and pray over it and think, okay, what what can I get from this today that I don't already know? What, what can I learn from it today? Because I think we make the mistake of looking at scripture that we've read a ton of times and go, I've already learned what I can learn from this. I've listened to the sermons. I've listened to a few podcasts on this. I've, I've been to Sunday school and done worksheets over this from like elementary age up there's nothing else to get out of the scripture that's never true you can you can read the bible your whole stinking life and you're gonna learn something new every time and i think that uh, the story of jesus death and resurrection is no exception to that rule so we want to give it the attention that it deserves and kind of hit the brakes a little bit and really just uh, dive deep into scripture so last week we went through verses 1 through 27 and today we're going to be going through verses 28 to 42 the end of the chapter so before we get into scripture, one more caveat: um, Tanner is our our chief note taker. He's he's very good at it and actually enjoys doing it. So it's just something he's done. 
I'm using, I've, I've done the notes for this half, uh, this second half of John chapter 19, and the vast majority of what I want to talk about is scripture hyperlinks. I don't know if Tanner would have done this different. Uh, he can school us on it next week if there's stuff that I miss, according to him, uh, because he's, I mean, we both know that Tanner's very good with uh, that, that preacher brain that, well, I straight up don't have, so there's that, of uh, being able to get stuff out of text. But I, I mainly, um, through this episode, I want to look at different prophecies that are fulfilled because I believe it was, was that the last episode or the episode before that where I asked the question of like, are some of these um, prophecies kind of frivolous or they borderline pointless? Like they're just, it's literally Jesus did this thing because it, the scripture said to do this here, but there's no like reason given beyond that. And we established uh, correctly. So I believe that this was to give more legitimacy to the story. Like Jesus is leaving no prophetical stone unturned so that his authority can't be questioned. And I think he accomplishes that. And there's plenty of uh, prophecy fulfilled just throughout um, these verses 28 through 42. So that's, that's the bulk of what I want to talk about, but we'll, we'll get into some other stuff as well. So just to start off, um, this, this scripture is very dense. So we're going to take it just a couple verses at a time um, because there's just a lot out of literally every single verse. So we usually go over in chunks, but I've got this pretty much just verse by verse. Uh, but we will start uh, reading just verse 28. Uh, verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So we're, we're, we're going to hit the brakes already. First off, the scripture that's being fulfilled there it's just a quick hyperlink to psalm chapter 69 um, verse 21 and fair warning if you're following along in scripture or trying to keep up with whatever version i'm using i've got two different versions of the bible in front of me one is my hyperlink scripture bible and the other one is the one that i'm reading the the john scripture out of so it i'm going to sound different depending on what i'm reading from Uh, but verse 21 in that Psalm uh, chapter 69 says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So, of course, that goes back to, I mean, Jesus genuinely just not leaving anything to chance. Like any ounce of prophecy that exists in the old law, he's fulfilling it. I mean, he is in the midst of doing the strongest fulfillment of Scripture that was, is, and ever will be done. I mean, this is the ultimate sacrifice. And speaking of uh, using a couple different versions of Scripture, I was doing a little studying um, throughout a bunch of different versions because, I mean, when you use a Bible app, you can just one one click away, you can go to pretty much any version of the Bible. And some uh, translations use the term vinegar, whereas others use uh, sour wine. And that made me think, oh, I wonder if there's something to that. Like, why is there debate over uh, which of these words is used, vinegar versus sour wine? And it turns out that, like, sour wine is, is vinegar. I mean, that <laughs> people that have any sort of culinary knowledge are shaking their heads right now, but that's something that I didn't know. Um, and I, I went so far as to like, look at the etymological like origin of vinegar. Cause I was like, man, is there something to this? Am I finding some secret? No, it's, it's pretty obvious, but just for the sake of it, if there's anyone else out there like me, that this is new knowledge to, uh, the term vinegar actually comes, uh, from the French vinegar, which I definitely said that wrong. Uh, which literally means sour wine. So this is a rare instance of like um, the translation being one-to-one. I mean, being to be fair, it is uh, coming from like French. So when they were figuring out like, oh, what are we going to translate through? It translated equally to like vinegar or sour wine because I, I don't know. I guess it translated one-to-one to French. I don't 
no language origins that well. So Yeah, just definitely not me either. But yeah, when you're reading different versions of this scripture and one of them says sour wine, one says vinegar, it is literally the same thing. So that, that that's what I learned. So a little bit more information on this vinegar because there is some importance to it beyond just what the word means. Um, because the, to someone who is reading this scripture for the first time and... Honestly, I mean, I kind of thought this as I was reading it. Uh, Here's my obligatory uh, time in the podcast where I say it's like I was reading it for the first time. (laughs) Um, This sour wine that Jesus receives, that that makes you sit here and think, why why is Jesus accepting beverages on the the cross? Like, why why is he saying I thirst? Well, for one, to fulfill a prophecy, so there's that. But, like, what's the deal with this sour wine? Like, what's what's the purpose of it beyond just being a a prophetical fulfillment? Because, I mean, this stuff isn't just coincidence. the reason that that sour wine is there is, well, it's for the guards. Like, it was for them to drink, and I guess military funding wasn't too hot at the time for for the Romans, so they didn't get, like, very good wine. They got, like, just the crap wine. They got sour wine, vinegar. It was the stuff that they were uh, given to drink just throughout their shift. So this is an interesting situation because you got Jesus uh, saying that he thirsts, giving that, that request for something to drink. Uh, in verse 29, I'll read, says, A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. It just occurred to me that I've been talking about sour wine this whole time, and I haven't read the verse that had it in it yet. So, you know, we're falling apart here without Tanner, but we'll, we'll press on. But he knew that that was uh, going to be offered to him, so that's an interesting act of compassion from a, sh- uh, a soldier there, because, I mean, obviously there's no obligation on the soldier's part to give this person who, for all they know, is a dying criminal uh, being tortured, giving them uh, a bit of recompense. It it brings to mind, and I mean, I know this isn't a one-to-one com- uh, comparison, but when I think of someone in, like, dire agony saying, I thirst, and, and wanting something uh, to quench that thirst or, or help them out a bit, it makes me think of uh, the story of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, where the rich man is like, give me a, a bit of water on my tongue so that I'm not thirst can be quenched. And that kind of puts me in the mindset of, okay, in that story, when the rich man requests uh, a bit of liquid sustenance, I mean, we both know, and I'd imagine that that guy knows, that a little bit of water on his tongue isn't going to make him feel better while he's burning. Like that, he's he's going to be in torture no matter what. But the torture is such that he considers it worth it to make his one, like, big request to be just a drop of water because just that one moment that one little split second of I am not only burning but I am burning and I have a drop of water on my tongue like that just speaks to the agony of the suffering that he's uh, enduring so going beyond just fulfilling another prophecy it can be this is a pretty good way to to read into the scripture that Jesus has truly endured a suffering unlike any other because I believe we've tackled it already this this goes a lot further than just a physical pain this goes a lot further than just oh a crown of thorns was laid on him uh, he was he was whipped he had to to carry the the cross beam of a cross not the entire cross another thing I learned last week um, he didn't just have his his hands nailed to that he didn't just have to deal with the agony that every person that um, is strung on a cross has to endure he also endured the pain of sin as someone who knew no sin there was a pain beyond the physical that he endured and that agony was such that you could compare it to that to that damnation that the the rich man felt i mean would would you say that's agreeable yeah absolutely i think especially it dealing with the humane side of Jesus, like I am in such pain and things. Because if if you remember, I don't know if we, I think we brought it up before. Jesus went through a lot more torture than most 
criminals who was going to get crucified went through. Yeah. Not all of them were beaten, especially to the degree that he was. And the reason that was is because I, I don't know if we talked too much on it last week or not, but like the reason Jesus was beaten as badly as he was is because, I mean, Pilate kind of had full intentions of releasing him. You know, like if I beat this man nearly to death, they'll think the Jews will think that it's good enough and, you know, everybody can just go home and everybody's fine and we don't have to kill this guy. But, I mean, we know that that didn't happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't see Jesus on the cross now. So he was going through so much more pain, especially than the two that was beside him. And just to want just something to ease one of the hundreds, if not thousands, of different senses of pain that he's going through. You know, and like you said, not just physically, but he's got the sin he's fixing to bear spiritually or all the emotional uh, pain that was brought on before him of all the mocking and everything. So just to get that one sense of relief in, in an aspect, it really shows how much, like you said, how much he was really suffering. And beyond all that suffering, there was uh, another purpose to taking this this sour wine uh, beyond just having that that moment of uh, maybe comfort. I don't know. I mean, I I wasn't in Jesus' shoes at the at the time, thankfully so. Uh, but one could infer that to to take in some sort of of, of liquid, he was preparing to say something, and he does say something. Uh, verse 30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed up his, his head and gave up his spirit. So the gut reaction to that uh, that someone might have uh, is why, why is Jesus saying that it's finished when there's still a couple chapters left? I mean, he's, he's still going to raise up from the dead. He, he hasn't defeated death yet, so like what, what's finished? What's, what's the purpose here? And the answer that I would uh, give to that is that the main goal here was to ensure his followers um, a simpler a simpler way to worship. I mean, he's already narrowed down 613 laws to two when uh, he was confronted over that by the Pharisees. Like, what's what's the greatest commandment? And he gives them two, love, uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. Uh, and we've discussed it in past episodes, borderline ad nauseum, so I won't waste time, like, explaining it. Uh, but essentially, he's all of this leads up to him spilling his blood, being the ultimate sacrifice, ensuring that people don't have to do the all the ritual ritualistic nonsense that becomes nonsense because they just treat it as uh, the law that is to be worshipped, going back to the Pharisees uh, being heretical over their worship of the words on the page rather than the meaning behind uh, the scripture that they read and claim to love so much. Uh, he is offering himself as this perfect lamb that only has to be given this time. And this one time is so perfect and so complete and so finished that that covers everything past, present, and future as long as you believe in him. So in that sense, like, th- I mean, this is the plan. Like, anything that happens from now on is, is icing on the cake, right? And, I mean, we'll, we'll discuss that in due time. But in terms of accomplishing for his followers past, present, and future— what he wants to accomplish for them, he did it. Like this, this right here is mission accomplished. He has he has endured the worst part of the suffering. Like he he has uh, dealt with the physical pain of the again the lashings, the hanging on the cross, the the crown of thorns. He's endured the not so physical pain of enduring all sins again, past, present, and future. Which that that's wild to think about. That he he took on the sin of the world, not the sins of the world in that moment, but. All of sin. Like he took sin capital S. 
Like that that's something I feel like we don't we don't think about that much. Like we, we just say the phrase he took on the sin of the world in that moment and then we move on to the next point. But holy crap, like hundred percent God, hundred percent man just took on hundred percent sin. That's pretty stinking nuts. Like I for one I can't wrap my head around that because I mean, since I've never known a time in which sin wasn't a part of my life, like how could one fathom what it's like to be sinless and then deal with all sin? So dealing with all that pain, uh, physical and non-physical, he, in a way, gets to have this, this escape through that it is finished and giving up the ghost. Uh, which, what, what was the exact wording in that? Was it giving up the ghost? Uh, and gave up his spirit in the ESV version that I'm reading from here. Uh, that's another little bit of importance there. I mean, I know this has definitely been preached on, but we'll put it out there just for the sake of it. Like, it doesn't say he died. It doesn't say that he was he was killed. It doesn't say that he expired. No, he gave up his spirit. Like, this this comes back to the whole, like, what does it mean to be 100% God, 100% man? Yeah, he has the ability to die, but he's got to give himself permission to do it first. <laughs> like, that's, which I guess that's kind of a funny way to look at it. Um, it's not just him waiting for the blood to drain out of his body. It's not him sitting there waiting for whatever part of his heart that's going to respond to, okay, we've taken enough damage, it's time to, to give up. No, he, he has to give his body permission to give, up, uh, to give up the ghost, so to speak. So that's uh, importance in that wording as well. So I've got a question, and we'll see how it goes. Because I like how, I really like how you said, like, what is finished? You, you know, we've still got two more chapters after this, 20 and 21, right? Or is there 22? I might be completely wrong. Yeah, 2021. Okay. Just making sure I didn't miscount. There's still a pretty big, important events and parts yet to come after John 19. So, for him to have said, it is finished. Do you think that if, like, I'm not saying I've subscribed to any of this whatsoever, so I want to be very clear about this. Dude, I love talking about stuff I might not believe in. If he did not raise again from the grave, do you think that salvation would still be possible? Hmm. My gut answer, I want to say yes. But if he didn't have that power over death, does he have the legitimacy to cover all sins? And see, that's that's the thing I was kind of thinking about as well. He, he did exactly what he came to do, to be the last sacrifice so that we no longer had to do annual sacrifices. His sacrifice of God the Son— the divine son, you know, God himself is what made us not have to, for some 2,000 years now, have to do annual sacrifices and have to do or abide by, what is it, the 613 Jewish laws, 12? Yeah, 613. Yeah, 13. So, like, because he came and did this and he gave himself up, I believe you're right. I think it was accomplished, and I think that we probably could. Now, this is just all opinion, and, I mean, we might get to some later on stuff that, you know, I might wind up taking all this back. I'm, like I said, I'm not 100% into this, but I just like to think about it because it's, it's a time filler because we're missing Tanner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you're exactly right. If he could not have rose back from the dead, would he have really been God? Yeah, and that makes you makes you think, like, why is that? the qualifier because he's already done plenty of miracles. Mm -hmm. Um, He's fulfilled prophecy at the wazoo. Like he's proven himself to be God already in theory. 
So why would him not raising back from the dead? Like, why? And again, this this hypothetical. This this isn't me. We're being just Jesus. entertaining the conversation at this point. Yeah. Why couldn't he just die? Like why? Why does coming back from the dead? What? Why is that the hinge on which his deification? Hang on. Like what? Why is why is that necessary? Is this just something we we believe or? <laughs> The only thing that I have really to go with that is because he has always been and always will be. He was here before creation was. He's going to be here after Earth's gone. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's still here during these three days anyway. I yeah. mean, I'm not going to try to spoil it. I'm going to try to keep everything spoiled for you as much as we've <laughs> spoiled the yeah. crucifixion of this. <laughs> now that we're finally here, Everybody. I feel like we've kind of run out of things to talk about. So, but no. I think it's very important that he did. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, it's super important. And if you don't believe that, then do you really believe Jesus? I mean, that, that's just kind of my opinion on that. But he says it himself. He has completed what he's come to do. And uh, like I went back and because Matthew's now got me going back and translating everything from the original <laughs> Greek and everything. Oh, but it, like, it literally says, like, to full completion. His mission got completed. But at the same time, you know, he is and always is. And if we go back to some of our earlier episodes in John, Jesus also mentions, especially uh, when speaking to Nicodemus, you shall live forever with me in paradise. Or when, if you look on uh, in other gospels, which I'm fixing to reference here in a little bit, you will see where Jesus talks to one of the criminals. And he says, you will be with me in paradise forever. And it's like, to, th- to think that, you know, he couldn't raise from the dead is just to say, yeah. is, is he really God? Because he could do all these other great things. If we look back at Moses real quick as a little uh, comparison, when uh, God told Moses, you know, throw your rod on the ground and it become a serpent. Well, some of the Pharisees, magicians, I think is what they're just called, were able to do that. But they weren't able to do some of the other things. Well, God, Jesus has come and done some things that nobody else has even come close to. Walking on water, I mean, we got Peter, but how come Peter done it? Because of Jesus. Yeah. Raised people from the dead, well, nobody else has done that. Healed lepers, nobody else has done that. Made blind people see again, nobody else, you know, you know. So you're right, he's proved himself. And so just to think that he couldn't raise from the dead, it's like, yeah. it's really, yeah. It's kind of a, a catch-22, I think. Um because on one hand, he's obviously God. Like, he's, he has done things that only someone who is who they claim to be can pull off. There, there is no faking all the, the various miracles and proofs that he's given. So because of that, because of these things that he's done, and, I mean, he says, this, uh, says it himself in Scripture multiple times, you, you believe that I'm the Son of God because I've done these things. He is clearly God. Like, that is irrefutable. So he can't not come back. Yeah. Like, him having power over death is just part of the package deal. If we are to believe that he is 100% God, 100% man, God can't die. Mm-hmm. Man can die, but only 100% of the 200% that Jesus is made up of <laughs> is man. So that becomes very irrelevant very quickly. The legitimacy to 
to Jesus being the son of God, uh, like it, it's almost like it's not even, well, mm, that's a strong statement. I was going to say it's not even like really tested in the first place because it's literally impossible for God to die. Like that, that's not even a factor. So th- th- this is my response to it, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, an analogy that I can throw out there that may or may not be effective would be Jesus dying on the cross was him writing the check to, to pay the cost of human sin. Mm-hmm. Him resurrecting three days later was us realizing that the bank actually had money in it. <laughs> like, his, his account is stacked. Like, we, we figured that out. We took it to the bank, and it actually gave us stuff back. That, that's, that's him getting resurrected there. So, yeah, I mean, the check would have been written regardless. And, hey, maybe some people would accept it. I don't, I don't know how this stuff works. This, this analogy's going off the rails real quick. But <laughs> to, to answer the question, I, I do believe that uh, Jesus had to come back. I, I do as well, but I, I, that's Which a question. Which he did, so it's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, spoilers. Okay, anyway. No, no. <laughs> Dang it. I did it. But, no, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. It's just I've heard that question asked a couple times. I thought, you know, that might be something. We like spices here on the show. Oh, yeah. So yeah. We might as well throw it out there. And oh, just one of us happens. has to talk about food. You already brought it up, the culinary school with the vinegar. And oh, the yeah, I did. Yeah. Shoot. Look, Tanner, We're already ahead of the game. Tanner, we don't need you. Yeah, we don't need Don't Tanner. come back. <laughs> <laughs> Mason, I think you had something. Uh, yeah, I want to go that. back and look at something else. Because John doesn't record this, but Matthew and Luke do. And I, I don't think I checked Mark. But there's something very important that happens right after this. And so we'll read it uh, from Matthew 27. And we'll go over this verse. Um and Jesus cried again with a loud voice, saying, or with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. So here we have him saying, it is finished, and he given up the ghost. But then verse 51 of Matthew 27 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And out of those graves, after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. I said all that because I really want to look at the veil in the temple, Okay. the importance of it. I'm going to be honest. I've never really done a study over the importance of that, so you feel okay, free to take well, us away. Here we go. I'm going to pull off my little tanner now. <laughs> The veil, so are you familiar with what the veil is? Like what well, a veil is? Well, yeah. Like I've read the scripture and I know like what it means, but so I've, it's I've never like studied beyond those that. those that don't, basically this giant curtain or whatever that uh, went around the area. And this is where, correct me if I'm wrong, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was? I th- think so. This was, my temple knowledge is very poor, except for just this little aspect of it. So forgive me if I'm lying just straight applying to you. But anyway, <laughs> the veil guarded this very sacred place that only the high priests were allowed to go in. You know, where we've talked about it before, Had where people tied the rope, the rope yeah. with the bells on yeah. them. Um, so the reason for this is because that's where the priest went. Every time the sacrifices were made, the priest went before the family, the person, whatever, to ask God for forgiveness for them. And it was decided then and there if they would get it or not. This veil has been torn in half, torn to, and falls. It's, it's a symbolization, but it's also like a literal statement that there is nothing separating God from everybody now. Oh, okay, yeah. Like the All veil right. was there to separate nice. where God would come from and regular people. Did you see the light bulb go off over my yeah, head? Yeah, I did. Was, I was, was like, beautiful. I saw that big smile come out. <laughs> but like to say this was 
there was no separation anymore between me and you and God. We could deal directly with God now instead of having to go through a high priest. We don't have to go through other people anymore. Now, that's interesting, and I don't know where where we can go with what I'm about to say because I don't know where it can go. But that is true. Like what you just said is true. I mean, it is is scripturally correct. The veil is torn, and there's nothing keeping us from communing with God. But the Holy Spirit hasn't come into play yet. So, like, whoa, what do you make of that? I guess we've got a few days of wiggle room. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> but, I don't know. Like, are, are people just yelling at the sky and hoping for the best there for a couple of days? Or I don't know. That's I'm sure somebody has written a good book about that. But I, I don't I'm know. I'm sure. But I just really I love that image just because there is no more. Oh, you have to go through somebody. You have to go through a middleman. It's a yeah. straight line now. It's a yeah. direct line. Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, but the the next thing that happens uh, just in the chronology of these events uh, is verse 31. I'll take it back to uh, the scripture in John. Verse 31 says, Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So, again, we're coming on some, some wonderful irony. I've already, I've already used the word a couple times, so we'll just stick with that word. Uh, because you have some, some Jewish holidays invading on this terrible display of the freaking Messiah being on a cross. So the practice uh, of that, it, it might be self-explanatory to some, but I'll put it out there just for the sake of it. Um, being on the cross, you had to use like a mixture of your, your arm and chest muscles and your leg muscles to kind of pull yourself up so you could breathe. Uh, one of the main uh, ways that people would die other than like exposure or starvation or whatever um, is from asphyxiation. They wouldn't be able to breathe because like circulation and stuff. I don't, I don't know. Tanner's the EMT. He'd have, he'd have something to say here. Uh, so when people are on that cross, they have to raise themselves up to take a breath of air and they come back down. Breaking the legs would ensure that the weakness that they have from being malnourished and well being beaten, and I'd imagine you don't get very good sleep doing that, uh, would cause them to not be able to lift themselves up and it would speed up the asphyxiation process. Fun fact, I actually learned this week from doing a little study into this. Yes, I actually done a little bit of a study. Proud of you. <laughs> it actually wasn't so much of them having to take a breath. It was getting that breath out. At least from the study I found. Because huh. I, don't, I don't know how it works. I haven't been crucified. But huh. that's I don't know. I don't from know the things I read. That they said that it was easier to get air in. Yeah. I guess where your lungs are being stretched out and stuff. But to actually get that air out is when you had to lift up to get. And it makes sense because, I mean, like me just holding my arms out right now. I know you guys can't see me, but Matthew can. Like, I can feel tension, like, in my lungs. I can, I can get it in, but it, it's harder to get it out. Huh. So I guess having to lift yourself to get some release on those muscles around your lungs to actually get that air out, yeah. you can push it out. Okay. I thought that was very unique. I mean, it, does it show very much importance? No, but, I mean, it just kind of it shows new light, I think. Yeah. Interesting fact. Yeah, and uh, another fun fact about this breaking of the legs, um, we'll we'll get on to how that's relevant to Jesus here in a second. But this fulfilled yet another prophecy that We're just Jesus prophecies every two seconds. Exactly, man. there's there's a lot of prophecy being fulfilled in here, which is great. Like Jesus, he he's he never stops working. 
Uh, never stops working. He's always fulfilling them prophecies. Even though he's dead, he's still fulfilling prophecies. Like, um, he's off getting the keys to hell. Still, still His fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, was it, which scripture were you in when you were talking about the, the thief on the cross? Was that something you brought up? It it was in conversation. I don't know if it was when I was talking about other things. Or yeah, not. We, we didn't hone in on it, but um, it was mentioned. Uh, but anyway, he, he told um, a thief on a cross next to him, he said, on this day you will um, spend eternity or be with me I'm in eternity. I'm going to read it for you. As soon as I... Okay. Yeah, so it's in Luke uh, 23. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And the other answered, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, and he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you go in your when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right. So Jesus saying that that was a bit of a double-edged prophecy that he laid there. Because on one hand, you got to think that dude on, on the cross next to him was like, dope paradise that sounds a lot better than where i'm at right now but the other side of that prophecy was you're also going to die today because you're going to have your legs broken <laughs> so that prophecy got fulfilled by that that thief having their their legs broken they uh they didn't get to linger into the next day they instead entered into paradise which i'm sure was a perfectly fine trade-off in their eyes but still there i think there's a little bit of dark humor in that um, hearing that prophecy and thinking, oh, this is good news, but it's because you're getting your kneecap smashed, but like, don't, don't get too happy just yet. There's a little more suffering coming your way. Uh, but going on to figure out how this leg breaking affects Jesus, um, the answer is it does not. Because verse 32 says, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with them, that, that, uh, those thieves. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So first off, we have um, some more uh, prophecy being fulfilled. Actually, I think it does address it in the scripture itself, so I'll just keep on reading. Uh, verse 35 says, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. First of all, we have John talking about himself like he's like he's hot stuff yet again there in uh, verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. And I know I like to poke fun at John because, I mean, why the heck not? He's the beloved, he's the beloved disciple. I mean, if you get to have that kind of title, let, let, let me let me poke you a couple times. Like, you, you get... He's got the title, the beloved disciple. What more do you want? I'll make fun of him if I want to. Dang it. It's free country. But the, the legitimacy to that verse, the importance of it, is that, I mean, it's the statement of there being a witness. Like, this isn't just something someone wrote down because their brother's sister's uncle was like, hey, this, this thing happened. Or they read about it in the local paper and was like, oh, well, I guess that person knows what they're talking about. This, this is a straight from the horse's mouth first-person account be like this stuff happened I was there this isn't me saying this I'm not writing this down because someone told me to write it down I'm writing this down because I saw it with my own two eyes so it is a um, a genuine eyewitness account that John is backing up uh, through that verse so as much crap as I want to give John for talking about him like he's hot stuff I mean he, he kind of is hot stuff he he witnessed a very very important event and we do thank him deeply for paying attention enough to write about it in accurate detail so 
going back to some scripture being fulfilled, we have in verse 36 it being pointed out that there was uh, no broken bones uh, on Jesus. Uh, now, this was important for a number of reasons, because for one, it references uh, Numbers chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 12, and I'll pull up the, the Exodus scripture right quick. Mason, if you could pull up that uh, Numbers text and read it off. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Yeah, and Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 46 says, In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. Now, this is more than just a prophecy being fulfilled. This is a general instruction given for Passover. If you're going to have the sacrificial lamb cannot have its bones broken. So this is treating Jesus as that sacrifice. Like this is, uh, again, adding to the legitimacy of what Jesus is doing here. He is being treated as the perfect sacrificial lamb. So, again, we can't leave any prophetical stone unturned here. It can't be, oh, Jesus was the great Passover lamb, but they also broke his, uh, his legs. So someone someday in the future, we'll go, well, you see, Jesus' death wasn't legitimately uh, a sacrifice for mankind because they didn't follow Passover. No, you don't You don't get to use that, that stupid logic here because Jesus is five steps ahead of you, 5,000 steps ahead of you. Get out of here with that mess. Exactly. He knew good and well what it would take to be the perfect Passover lamb. So as it was foretold, so it shall be, he didn't have his legs broken. No broken bones in this perfect Passover lamb, this perfect sacrificial lamb. Uh, so just, again, more more prophecy being fulfilled. You think Jesus was that kid that was like, yeah, I've not had a bone broke, and I won't. <laughs> he, he was always drinking his milk. Plenty of calcium. <laughs> plenty of calcium. Now, another thing that I, I was planning on bringing up, assuming that Tanner was here, because he, he's got the, the biological knowledge, uh, but talking about in verse 34 when there was that mention of the water and blood coming out of uh, Jesus when he was stabbed with that spear in the side— uh, there is an actual like medical explanation for that happened, but Tanner he he has brought it up in the past episode before we started this deep dive. So I mean, if you've if you've been around for a hot minute, you know you know what I'm talking about. There's that whole fluid sac uh, thing around the heart. Yeah, basically, a simple version of it is just your heart you die. Balloon. Well, yeah, you, your blood stops circulating too, though. And I mean, if you didn't know this, your body is a very very high percentage of water. And so what's left when your blood stops moving is, well, agua. <laughs> <laughs> agua. And then verse 37 mentions a bit more prophecy that got fulfilled. Uh, says, And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. And I won't go uh, to the scripture, but that's uh, Zechariah reference, um, chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, but it's pretty much a direct quote from where it's being quoted here in verse 37. So there's that. So that kind of just, again, goes back to this is John giving even more legitimacy, like saying, hey, I witnessed this, and these are the scriptures that got fulfilled here. So he's kind of, uh, again, get, applying some proof to how this is an epic event beyond just saying, oh, this dude that claimed to be God uh, died, and he said it was for our sins. No, he's, he's given those uh, prophetical hyperlinks. It's like if uh, you're defending a thesis for like a PhD, you don't just like say, hey, this is the thing that I studied, and this is what it did the end i'm right give me my doctorate no you got to give your proofs you got to give your references be like hey this thing is true because this this thing is true because this you don't get to make all your claims on your own you those uh again those prophetical references give more legitimacy to the claim that jesus is successfully covering all sins past present and future uh, so that's a good deal of the meaning behind that 
though. Continuing a little bit more, uh, we, we get some behind-the-scenes stuff here. Th this is something that personally I had never uh, really been alerted to reading the Gospels myself in the past or being taught about them or whatever. Uh, here in verse 38 and... Well, we'll just read through the rest of the chapter and talk about it um, in retrospect. Starting verse 38, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arithamea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Or, well, it says cloths, technically. So, Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. References on Yours says 75 pounds? Yeah. Mine says 100. Hmm. Let's just look it up and see what it really is. What's the 1611 have to say? <laughs> Your scripture says 100. So in real time, let's let's have Mason looking up the, the original scripture pre-translation and figure out what that number is supposed to mean. It says hecaton, which is... Hecaton? Is that real? <laughs> oh, no. A oh, I thought you meant like a heck of a ton. No. Like a heck of a ton. I thought <laughs> no. you were just throwing slang out there. Um, 100 is what that 100. says. So 100 pounds? A hundred, and then it says litra, which is a pound of a weight of 12 ounces. Our pounds are 16. Yeah, I was about to say ours are 16. So that would so. make it 75 pounds. So it's 75, but also Seven, Well, it's 75 by our pounds, 16 ounces. Well, who goes by 12-pound ounces? I don't know. that. This is what happens when you're on the <laughs> imperial system. Everything gets screwed up in conversion. Ugh, I swear. So they're both right. It's just, which system are we using? <laughs> well, yes, but actually, no. <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> well, so that, I don't know How if How many of our conversations have ended like that this week? All of them. <laughs> yeah. all, absolutely all of them. All right, so first off, uh, you have in that opening verse this Joseph of Arithmia, Arithmia, whatever, some area. This guy, this guy right here, He's he's been talked about before. He's He's kind of been... Uh, in the back of the crowd. His name wasn't brought up in, in past scripture, but he's been there. Because I don't know if you remember, but in John chapter 7, there was a, a period of time where Jesus, he was he was talking crap with the Pharisees. He was dropping some, some hot truths as per usual. And in verses 12 and 13, uh, again, King James Version, forgive me. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he is a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Verse 13, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. So I think it's safe to assume that this guy came from that crowd. Uh, this is a guy that, I mean, it does confirm there in Scripture in uh, that verse 38, saying that he was a secret follower for fear of the Jews. So personally, I take those two dots and I connect them. So this is a guy that presumably had been following Jesus for a pretty decent amount of time since, I mean, John chapter 7 was several chapters ago. And the importance, because when I first read this, when I, when I was reading about our, our boy Nicodemus coming back and this Joseph dude, I mean, yeah, they're doing they're doing cool stuff getting Jesus' body. I mean, this is important. Don't get me wrong. But like now, this is when they show up. This this is when Joseph decides to to come out in favor of Jesus. Like it, come on, dude. Why why couldn't you 
be a, an open believer in the past. Like, why why couldn't you do it before? Like, I was I was kind of wanting to crap on these dudes. But like, what, what you wait you wait till now? You wait till now? I mean, obviously, I understand that the that Jesus's plan, that God's plan, was fulfilled. And I mean, obviously, nothing wrong happened. Everything happened according to plan. But just looking at these dudes at face value, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, why didn't you do more in the past? Why why are you wait until now to to show your quote unquote true colors? Well, see, I can see that, but here's where I really think about this. It probably takes more bravery for him to do this, especially to go before Pilate and ask for this, than it did when Jesus was alive. Because I mean, you look at Peter the one who swore up and down he would stay by his side no matter what. And before Jesus could even die, Jesus Peter had denied him three times. Oh, yeah. We saw that last week. Yeah, and I completely agree. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just I'm putting the, the hypothetical I think he here. finally just got a hold of himself and was like, I've been shameful all this time before. I need to actually stand up. Yeah. And I think he actually does. And this thing that he did is no small feat. Like, I, I'm not sitting here, like, actively trying to, to discredit him. I'm just offering that, that argument of, like, wow, why, why are you waiting until now? Uh, because this is a, a pretty awesome thing that he and Nicodemus did. Because it was uh, Roman custom to leave the body to, to birds and beasts of prey on that cross. And the Romans, as I believe Tanner mentioned uh, last week, like, they don't, they, Jews don't have power. Like, they, they don't give a crap about the Jews. Pilate doesn't give a crap about Jesus. Like, we, we've established this multiple times over. Like, the Romans are not looking at those bodies on this preparation day and going, oh, we really need to get those down because the Sabbath is coming. No, they, they don't care. Like, they don't. It, it doesn't even show up on their radar. So having that courage to come up and more or less break Roman tradition, I mean, it's kind of— I'll admit it's a stretch to say that it's Roman tradition to let them be eaten by the birds and whatever, but it's what they usually do. So, I mean, by definition, that is kind of a tradition. Asking them to, like, go that extra mile, be like, hey, can we, can we get his body down? Like, can, can, we, can we get this, this Jesus dude? Can we, can we take him down and put him in a tomb? Like, that's, that's above and beyond the call of duty, 100%. Like, this is Nicodemus and Joseph here are really going out on a limb and risking themselves. Because, I mean, all it would have taken was for the guard that they asked or for Pilate to— be having a particularly bad hour of the day and be like, you know what? How dare you? You're going on another cross. Like there was risk in this, that they are technically defying the Romans with what they're doing, if you want to read into it that far. So it's no small feat of what they're doing here. And another way to look at this, that I, I was reading some, some commentaries on this, and I was reading one by, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, that kind of put the the light bulb over my head when I was reading that. I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I'll, I'll just quote him because, I mean, he says it best. He says, how beautiful that God trusted his son's bodily care to a Pharisee and a secret disciple. Oh, yeah. That, that's pretty freaking neat. Like, that, I never really thought of that because, I mean, it. you almost kind of, mm, what's the best way to word this without sounding like a heretic? <laughs> like, you, you almost assume like less value of Jesus when he's a corpse. You know what I mean? Because since there's that knowledge of him being 100% man, 100% God, like it's not, Jesus isn't like dead for three days. He's still doing stuff. Now, what's he doing in those three days? It depends on who you ask. And there's tons upon tons of speculation there because it's not spelled out in black, white, and red um, in scripture. So it's, it's entirely just stuff to talk about. Um, Earlier, I was joking about him getting the keys to hell. That is a legitimate belief that some people have. Is it what I believe? 
tell you when you're older. <laughs> but we, we don't know where he was for those three days, but he was doing something. He wasn't taking a nap, that's for stinking sure. Like, there was still work to be done. I mean, yes, uh, plan A was finished, but there are still continuations of that plan to take place because, I mean, he's still got to resurrect. He's got to uh, give him the Holy Spirit. There's still plenty of work to do, so you best believe he's not taking a three-day nap. So you kind of almost assign less value to his fleshly corpse because one would assume that, ooh, or maybe one wouldn't assume because I was going to say he's now 100% man. Like this is the dead corpse of a man named Jesus. Is there anything to that? What, what do you What do you think? Like I kind of just let that come out of my mouth without thinking about it very hard. What is the actual question? Is that heretical? <laughs> like that, that people would think that? Yeah. No. Really? Okay. I mean, I mean, I, I didn't think so. I just wanted to make sure that I, I wasn't. Mean, of course, there were people that just thought that. I mean, yay, we finally killed this man yeah. that's committed blasphemy for the last three and a half years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the Pharisees are like, all right, sweet. We finally got our man. Now let's go partake in the Passover, which... But is it safe to say that it's just a corpse right now? Physically, yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't about oh, to get that, myself, okay, like, communicated. Is it just... No. Yeah. I mean, physically, yes. Yeah. I mean, his spirit is doing other things. I want to make sure mentioned. I wasn't missing anything here. Okay. But still, even though, even though this is the body that was... Jesus, and will be Jesus again in a little bit, glorified, uh, however. So it does go a long way. Uh, I mean, it's very consistent with Jesus' ministry, to be fair, that he's allowing his corpse to be handled by, again, a Pharisee and a secret disciple that one could very easily throw shade at both of them, and for good reason. Uh, But that, again, just speaks to the kind of kingdom that Jesus uh, seeks to bring. So finishing out this chapter, going over uh, verses 39, uh, through 42 here. I know I've already said his name, but I just I just want to say it again because my boy Nicodemus, he's, he's paying his respects, and I, and I appreciate that. Uh, Nicodemus is a guy that, I mean, I've, I've rooted for a couple times already as he's come up in Scripture because he's, he's a Pharisee that just, he's almost getting it right. He's trying. He's trying. And clearly his heart is absolutely in the right place. Like, it seems he's come around. I'd like to think that, that Nicodemus made it to heaven. I, I think so. I mean, why, why would he... Uh, in a way, risk his life to, to get a hold of Jesus' body here. So the value that we can find in that, I'm not just saying this to fill time, believe it or not. <laughs> they were uh, wealthy and influential men, at least um, Nicodemus was, that we know of. I mean, goodness, he was like the head of the Pharisees, was he not? Um, so one could assume that they would be able to find servants for them. Like they have people like under their employment, or again, at least Nicodemus did. So him, again risking life and limb in a way to do it himself speaks to his faith, speaks to Jesus' ministry that he was able to, to convince at least one Pharisee that we know of that he was the son of God. So I, I don't know, it's just it's a nice touch that we get to see uh, Nicodemus's uh, redemption arc come full circle. So now that we've reached the, the end of the chapter, I do have a couple of closing thoughts on it before we uh, close out the episode. Um, and these are two more quotes uh, from some guys that are much smarter than me that I just want to kind of put out there. I I don't personally have the theological knowledge to expand on them myself, so I'm just going to let the quotes speak for themselves, and we can go from there. Uh, This one's from a guy named Tasker. I didn't put his first name because, again, I'm terrible at taking notes. (laughs) His quote says, The fall of the first Adam took place in a garden, and it was in a garden that the second Adam redeemed mankind from the consequences of Adam's transgression. 
So that's just a, um, a pretty neat observation, I think, of, again, like what's taking place here, the hyperlinks uh, between certain areas of the Bible, how, again, the Bible, it likes to repeat themes. What was that squinting eye for? I just don't like how he references Jesus as a second Adam. I get what he's trying to say, but with everything that happens with Adam and you're comparing him to Jesus, only thing I can correlate the two with is the beginning of humankind to begin with, like literally the human race and Adam, and then Jesus, humankind, and God. Without a middleman. Well, you got to keep in mind that Adam failed at being Adam. Adam was intended to be the Adam. You know what I mean? Like and, he, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, J- Jesus didn't fail. He was he was God. Adam was not. Yes, Adam was created to be. If anything, Adam was a failed Jesus. <laughs> no, but you have Jesus. He's He's solving the problem that Adam started. And I mean, now that I agree with, yes. Yeah. And you have the, um, the term of second Adam. Well, for one, it's in songs, which I mean, I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you have people referring to people like Moses and David as being like the attempt at a second Adam. Like this idea that while Adam technically was the damnation of humanity, <laughs> a second Adam would be the savior of humanity. So it's not that like they're the same. But it's that they're intrinsically linked in what they did for all of mankind. Does that make sense? Yes. I got a yes with a question mark, and I'll take it. Yes with a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The other one is the other quote I have is from uh, Charles Spurgeon again. It says, "In which no one had yet been let." Oh shoot! I'm reading it early. Uh, the quote that I have says, "If they buried him in an old tomb, the Jews would say that he had touched the bones of some prophet or other holy man." And so came to life. And that that was something I didn't think about. Because, I mean, for one, that's just raising a hypothetical. But, oh. Also. Also. It brings up the argument that Jesus is still dead. Especially for people of our time here in 2020. If we are able to find bones in the grave where he was laid, how easy of an oh. argument is that for someone to say that that's Jesus? Huh. It was very important that he was laid in a tomb that nobody had ever been in. Yeah. Now, for what it's worth, I think I remember Tanner talking about when he went uh, over there on his on his trip that they, it's not like confirmed which tomb it was. Like it's kind of just, hey, here are the tombs, and he was in one of them, right? Am I remembering his, that conversation correctly? Something like that. Because I mean, I imagine people were buried. Well, in here's after the thing, that. though. It's hard to get very, very accurate dis- uh, depictions about. This very, very specific, specific location, like, hey, yeah, it was yeah. this tomb, or yeah. no, it was the tomb 30 yards down here. Mostly because of Christians, Jews, I mean, you know, whoever you want to consider over there, and Muslims fighting over areas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. want to both claim certain yeah. areas, and it's just like, yeah, so once, that, you, once you get uh, fighting back and forth, it, it, you really get mixed up, you know, is it this one, that one? Yeah, that and, like, not a lot of people cared. Like, the kind of people that cared about which tomb it would be, one, weren't there. I mean, there weren't many people there at that point, according to Scripture. And two, I doubt they had the resources to, like, mark the tomb. I mean, that, I'm pretty sure that would be classified as trespassing, so they'd be run through with a spear if they did it. 
Uh, of course, I'm speaking entirely on hypotheticals here, so the, I might be wrong. Like a historian, and a, a historian could could prove me wrong on that count, I'm sure. But just speaking from what I believe would be common sense, like I don't think that'd be something that would be doable, like marking the tombs. So that's just, I would imagine that due to them like not being able to mark it or reliably say like, hey, that was the one that Jesus was in. Other people were probably buried in it after that. So I'm sure that there were bones afterwards at some point. I'm talking like years and years down the line. Like, I don't know, that just makes sense in my head. But since I don't know enough to speak on it authoritatively, I will stop talking about it now. So that was John chapter, goodness, what chapter are we in? 19? How many How many we got left? So there were 21? 21 21. 21. All right, so we're, we're coming... Close to a close, after which uh, season one of cross-training will be concluded, and we'll give you some details eventually on, <laughs> on what season two will be. We, we do have a lot of plans uh, for it. The only issue is that a lot of our plans involve interviews, and I don't know if you all knew, but like, there's this thing going around that like prevents people from needing to be, wow, laptop really coming in clutch here. Telling us to and go. <laughs> yeah, there's this there's this little virus coming around that makes it hard to recommend that people get into enclosed spaces with us. So we, we want to respect that, and we want to wait until the world is back to quote unquote normal before we start doing that. So there might be a little bit of a pause, a uh, little bit more of a pause than we thought of originally uh, between seasons one and two. But we'll we'll address that bridge when we get to it. But that's that's to be addressed in a few more episodes. This is this has been the end of chapter nineteen. So. We've got goodness. How do I function without Tanner? Like I need, I need him to riff off of. You hey, know? how about this? Tanner has always done it. You had me do it when I come back. Matthew, give us our words. Well, you see, Mason, <laughs> I have done it once. You have. I did do it once. It was a day you weren't here, and uh, since you don't listen to the podcast, you wouldn't know. Yeah, you're right. I don't like listening to myself. <sighs> I mean, I. How do you think it's going to be me listening to this one? <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we got our uh, socials are in the, the show notes. You got our email there, too, so you can let us know how much you miss Tanner. Uh, uh, please, please let us know how much you miss Tanner because, daggummit, I miss him. But that's it. Peace out.